Hello, and welcome to the Rick Cave Media Podcast. My name is Bruce Davis. I'm the author of Gold Magic from Brick Cave Books. The Brick Cave Podcast is brought to you by the BC Book Club, Brick Cave Media's community portal for readers who love Brick Cave Books and the authors. You can join today and be a part of the Book Cave, the, excuse me, part of the Brick Cave Book Story at bcbookclub.com. And my name is Sharon Skinner, author of The Exile's Gift from Brick Cave Books. We're here tonight in the Brick Cave studio, located at the Brick Cave office, right here in beautiful downtown Mesa, Arizona. Okay, so why don't we start with some writing updates. Sharon, how's it going? It's going. It's going a little slowly. I have a lot of other things that I've kind of uh, been focused on. So a lot of other people's writing, uh, I'm helping them progress. My own writing, I only got another maybe 1,000 words written this past week. So I'm, I'm, I'm averaging about 1,000 words a week, and i got to step that up if I want to get it done by the end of the year like I, I want to. But it has been, there is progress. It's, it has not been stymied. So there, there's movement. Very good. How about you? What are um, you working on? Slogging away. <laughs> so my writing style is very slow anyway. Um, I'm a lousy typist, um, but I do things on the word processor because it's much easier to change that way. But that means I'm also editing as I go along and... I was very proud of myself that I had done eight, nine hundred words one day, and then I read over it, and I said, oh, this is all crap, and I dumped it all. <laughs> yeah, that is the part of the challenge if you did that. And so now I'm back to where I was before I wrote those words, but I think I've got a better idea where I'm going. Um, another one of the problems of being a pantser is that uh, mm -hmm. sometimes you go down these blind alleys and then get 800 words into it and realize... This really isn't going to go anywhere. Well, that's what happened with this. Um, originally was that I wrote all this stuff, right? And I was like, then I sat back and I looked at it and I went, yeah, this is not working. This has all been done before by other people. This is just, it's not interesting to me. Um, I need to figure out how I'm going to make a, a difference. And that's when I took that tool, that inside outline, and I applied it and I applied it to what I had already written and thought I was, how, how I thought it was going to end and realized, yeah, it was terrible. The whole last third of it was just, it was crap. And even the parts I hadn't written yet were going to be because just was bad. And so that's when I realized that that tool was helpful to me at that point in the process. And at least it was a, a way for me to see the whole picture and go, yeah, this is yeah, not working. So I threw out a bunch of it, but I'm still writing, rewriting now, or writing the revised story. Uh, so I'm, I had a lot of words written that are no longer valid, and I had to toss. So I'm at about 43,000 words right now, and uh, the goal is around 50 because it's a middle grade. So I'd like to have it done by the end of the year, the first draft anyway. And I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going now that I've actually been able to see the bigger picture. So yeah, I uh, I had was setting up a scenario for several scenes, and then realized that it wasn't really plausible. It wasn't gonna work. It would have been cool, but it's like this is too big a departure from what we've already established has happened. Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah. So I'd have to introduce some major event, totally out of the blue. 
Um, and I decided that's probably not a good way to go. Yeah, I, it's it's very off-putting but to readers a lot of times if yes, you do yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. as I'm writing, oh, this is going to be cool. This is such a cool scene. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for another book. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's off there. It's not yeah. gone, gone. Right. It's just not in, in there. there. Yeah, yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah, so um so I've, you know, progress, right? We're making progress uh, despite the world being what it is and so times being what they are. Times being what they are. Uh, I'm planning a little bit of time off coming up. Not until almost Christmas, but I'm hoping I can get some things done then. Well, that'd be good. You could use the time off, that's for I sure. I know that I can. It's been kind of hectic for you. I know that. Yeah, well, like I said, sometimes it just catches up with you. <laughs> yeah, the older I get, the quicker it catches me, too. I think I don't even, I, I used to run faster. Now I don't even <laughs> run. So, <laughs> so, um, so I know that we agreed that we would talk about a couple of things tonight. But um, the first thing is that we, had, we did this great panel with, uh, Poisoned Pen with Pat um, yes. King, and he was a wonderful moderator, and Joe Gento was there, and it was marvelous. We had some nice uh, people on, but you had a little bit of a... I had an audio problem. I still don't know what all that reverb was, because I couldn't hear it on my end Yeah, at it all. was weird. It was... It was great. It was like... Good sound effects. Why didn't I capture that, right? But, um, but you know, you were ending up having to do some stuff in the chat. And there was a question that came up that I think is a really great topic for you and I to discuss that we didn't really get to talk about on that panel because of that tech issue. So um, let's talk a little bit about this fabulous question that Pat asked, which is, um, first he asked um, if we read outside the genre that we write in or if we tend to read just within the genre so I tend to read universally but I find myself reading much more outside the genre um, part of that I think is so that I try to keep things that I'm doing within my writing original or at least original in my head I'm sure somebody else is doing it but because there are no new stories as right. we all know right. but at least I'm not being overly seduced I don't want to say influenced because it's really a seduction by this really cool book that I just read and I can write that too a lot of what I do do in my writing actually is borrowed from other genres Right. Fairly heavily. But that's how I try to keep it original, if you will. How I try to keep that, that spin of something different rather than writing fantasy that, you know, involves swords and wi wizards and, you know, the usual. I'm going off in a different direction. Right. Right. So I also read very broadly very eclectically and uh, very voraciously actually and I just read whatever strikes my fancy or whatever I've, I've seen normally that's like somebody will recommend something 
or I'm trying to get something onto my uh, reading women challenge list, which by the way, I'm almost done with this year. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it again this year. So I'm very excited that I'm going to complete the 2020 women reading challenge. Uh, if you are interested, go look that up online folks, because it's really, it's a really great way to read more broadly. Um, and I, I think I'm within four books now of, of, I've actually read more than the 26 books for the list, but some of them are hit the same category twice kind of thing. So I want to hit every category and haven't quite hit every category. I did just finish my 500-page book, which turned out to be a different book than what I had intended. I actually ended up reading a historical fiction called uh, The Huntress, and it was quite good. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But um, the idea being that I just read everything. And I don't feel like any of it's going to influence me. I'm always dissecting books, no matter when I read them or what I'm reading. I'm always dissecting them. How did they do that? Back? How did they get me into flashback? And I didn't even realize it. I'm going to go read that again. You know, uh, everything's a mentor text of either how to do it well or how not to do it because it's so bad. And... <laughs> So, I find myself unable to continue reading sometimes when I think it's just egregiously bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I just, agree. I can't go on. It's not worth my time. There, yeah, there's too much, too many good books, not enough time anymore. So, yeah, a lot of times books will hit the floor nicely. Yeah, no, I'll just put them aside. I don't ever throw anything across the room, ever. Not if it's a book. <laughs> Never. I wouldn't do that. Um <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, so so to me, it's not about being influenced uh, for a specific story or by a specific story as much as, as it is as I actually will go and read mentor texts when I'm trying to figure out how to do something effectively in a book. Not exactly what they did, but how they manage it. How right. their author has and successfully managed it. I have found authors that blow me away with how they manage it, particularly when, uh, as you know, my style tends to be fairly spare. And when I find an author who can set up a scene with very few words and still have it be a very evocative scene, those are the ones I dissect. Okay, now how did they do this? What led to this? How do they get out of this? Why do they choose these words? Um, that makes it sound awfully clinical, but it, but it, it's it, is, sometimes. it is sometimes. It is sometimes, yeah. Um, and I didn't mean to imply that I avoided fantasy or, or science fiction um, because I was afraid it would influ influence me. To be honest, I haven't found much of late that particularly interested me that's that's a, that's a the genre has gone thing. down some very odd paths that i just don't find appealing anymore even even science fiction has gotten odd in many ways mm, okay um well I, I i can't i won't cite specific examples but i think that uh, a lot of times it gets a little bit too far afield from um, the classic roots. And I'm still very much enamored of classic styles. Okay. 
Um, I reread probably for the fifth or sixth time since 1972, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and still enjoyed it. It's definitely it. a classic. That's <laughs> a classic. I still enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, um, I've found some of the, even the award-nominated books to be a little obtuse, difficult mm. to to get into, mm-hmm. either because the characters were not particularly approachable mm-hmm. or because the situation just didn't strike me as anything that I was all that interested in. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I've had a little more success with some of the more fun fantasies, um, the ones that are a little bit tongue-in-cheek or maybe a little bit out there or a little bit different. Okay. Um, I could get that. You know, That's why I like space opera. I mean... Because it was it was so just bizarre and hysterically funny, and I and humor on the page is hard, and I don't usually get it. I it's people will write humorous stuff, and I'll read it, and it doesn't. I don't think it's funny a lot of times. I it takes a specific type of humor, and so if it's very if it's very dry or if it's very hitchhikery, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide kind of humor, I I get that. And that makes me laugh. And if you can make me laugh out loud when I'm reading a book, you've done something, I think, extremely effective because I typically go, hmm, you know. Yeah, I, I, I can't say that I've read a, any books of late that were so just out and out funny. Um, but I've run into some situations that made me laugh because someone, some character twisted things and and – you know, brought about either an improbable situation or demonstrated that that silly thing that he did back in chapter one actually paid off. Right, <laughs> right. So, so what have you read lately that you've really enjoyed? Um, um, got any recommendations for the audience? For the there? audience, uh, Steve Korea's Grim Noirs. Okay. Um, it's kind of this mashup of steampunky. Maybe it's more diesel punky because it's 1930s alternate history with magic and a very coherent, almost physics-based magical system. Oh, that suits you. Which suits me tremendously. But then it has these characters that are right out of an old-fashioned noir movie or detective story, which is what, to me, is very fun about the whole thing. I'm interested. You know, the last two books I read were both historical fiction, now that I think of it. Um, the Huntress, which I just finished, um, which is basically, uh, in a nutshell, it's about a group of individuals hunting a female Nazi who has left the country and is now embedded herself in um, the United States and has, you know, changed her name and is, is pretty much hiding. And... Uh, and it bounces back and forth in time a bit so that you get the backstory as a story threaded through for some of the different characters. And the thread that really ties it all together is this really fascinating uh, female character who's a night witch with the Russian Air Force. And what's really fabulous about it is that I did not know that these women flew over 600 bombing uh what do you call them? Bombing runs. You know, 
600 and something, and it was like more than any of the men, uh, the male uh, bombing um, cohorts or anything. They they would just they would go and they would come back and they would drink tea, drink a cup of tea while they were doing their checks and get re um, fueled and get more bombs loaded and they would take off again. They would do sometimes 14 flights a night. So the um, it was really interesting for me because I learned some things that I didn't know and the woman Kate Quinn who wrote this she's very very deep researcher into the historical parts of it and then she always gives you these wonderful notes at the end and further reading and so I now I have a list of additional um, more uh, more of what you like primary sources or closer to primary sources anyway um, to look into on some of the the topics so that was a, a really interesting book and then the one I just finished as a young adult and it's called Show Me a Sign. And I'm going to mess up here because I can't remember the author's name. I just finished it too last night, so I should have been paying attention. Um, but it's about, um, it's based in his history about um, Martha's Vineyard when a, a large number of the inhabitants who had settled there uh, were deaf. And so they developed this sign language, this double-handed um, spelling and everything and all this sign language as just part of their culture. And so it was really fascinating to uh, to know that that really, I did not know that there had as been. As far as I heard of it. So. Right? It was, it's fascinating, but it, apparently it has to do with a genetic um, uh, mutation or something that, you know, and because there was so much intermarrying from the first settlers there, that a lot of the people were born deaf. I just fascinating to me. Anyway, so uh, I liked both books. Uh, I would recommend both books. Uh, the one is not YA, and the other is YA. So there you go. Oh, I've been talking about just reading widely. Um, I find myself gravitating toward um, history. Non-historic, non-fiction history, uh, a lot lately. I'm not sure exactly why, because, um, well, I do know why. Uh, I've gotten kind of fascinated with the naval war in the Pacific in World War II. Uh, started by reading P.T. Duderman's classic World War II naval combat series. It's a, they're fiction, but they're all of them are extremely well written because he's a retired. Uh, Desron commander um, and his father was also a destroyer man so he's got the the stuff down but then he he bases them on um, true historical figures not the historical figure but those are the basis for his character uh, so I just finished uh, for crew and country which it was written by with the help of the commander of um, one of the DEs at the Battle of Samar Island. Um, basically, destroyers and destroyer escorts went up against Japanese battleships. That's one of the just greatest sea stories ever. Um, but Duderman had written a uh, a book with a character that was involved in that battle, and this was the true battle, which is even more fascinating. <laughs> Excuse me, than than the fiction, because um, it was it was so well done and so well researched and right. uh, first person descriptions from the crews who survived and 
so it really, really was very affecting. It got to me. Um, the other one was uh, a uh, history of the Gull Island people. Oh. Yeah, which is also, like, you know, super fascinating. That would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I, you know, most history is just so dry. It's, if you can get first-person accounts and things like that, that's, that's good. That's always nice because you can get that, you know. Or even, um, you know, uh, letters and correspondence and things like that. I find that interesting to read, it's you know. Birthday gift. Yes. Marching with Sherman. Oh, yeah? It's by one of his, a, a colonel in one of the regiments. Is it epistolary, I, I, I take it? Yes. <laughs> Letters and his reflections. And so it, this is, original publication was like in the 1890s. So oh, well, the first person account. Yeah, see, that might be interesting. I, I could probably, you know, read through that. I could probably manage that. Um, so uh, in other, uh, so, oh, no, I had a question to ask you about that. When you're reading, because you were talking about not being influenced so much, or but we dissect. Um, what are the things that you look for in a book that, you know, especially a fiction book? So let's talk fiction. What is it that engages you the most in a good read? I think it's the thing that engages any avid reader, and that's the fact that you get lost in the story. So I, I really admire authors who can suck me in and keep me there and not break that illusion, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same um, way. And, and as long as I'm engaged, I'll, I'll tolerate a certain amount of throwing me out of the story. I get pulled out a lot because of demands of time. But... The, the authors that I really admire, occasionally there'll be a turn of phrase or a, you know, something that makes me go, wow, how did you do that? Yeah. But it's always in the setting of a story that has me so hooked that I don't really notice that I'm reading. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm a very... I work really hard to try and do that in my own writing, so I yes. get totally what yes. you mean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Totally it's like this mean. movie playing in my head mm -hmm. and trying to yeah, yeah paint the picture for people yeah 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 I I was talking to a, a, a young woman recently who is uh, she writes uh, middle grade and she is very um, she's she's a PhD in math and she's very logical and she's very and she writes very sparsely and she has to work very very hard to paint the picture because that's not what she wants to read. She just wants to know what the story is. Right. And so, um, and there's a, there's an audience for that. I'm, you know, she's one of the people in that audience, but I think the majority of people like me and like you want to get sucked in and taken away someplace else. We want to be transported. I want the movie to play in my head. That's what I want. Um, it's characters for me that, that draw me into that. And if the character can keep me along for the journey, you know, but world building is a, such a huge component of it. The, but you're seeing it, if, as long as you're seeing it through the character's eyes and through their right. lens, you know, it can keep you there. Yeah. So in other news, in other news, uh, 10,000 Brick Cave books sold as of this month. So that's a, that's a landmark that uh, we've been aiming for for some time. 
which is kind of exciting. It is, because it wasn't that long ago. We were at a lower number yeah. <laughs> in less than a year. Yeah, so a that's a good thing. Much lower number. And this month we've sold, um, Brick Cave has sold a thousand books already this month. So something's working. Something's working well. I don't know, so but let's keep it up. Ebooks. <laughs> you know, people are buying ebooks right now. So that's yeah. good. We like it. And uh, so that's. I, I, again, that I know Brick Cave works very hard at it. But it's always a question for me. How do you get people, how do you get eyeballs on your books? Yeah. Because I think the cover art that's done for these books is good. I think that the way that the back cover blurbs and everything is written is phenomenal. But how do you get people to notice that book out of all of the, the millions that are yeah. out there, yeah, you know, without having already established a name, right? Which is why you know we do, we still do the events when when we can go back to doing events, in person events. We'll still do those because it's where we start to where we gain our um, readership in that way, and you know, by putting it in their hands and talking to people and getting them to, you know, take a risk, take a chance on us. That's how we get followers and we broaden it. I don't know. We just, you know, I think that it's important to to, to know that uh, Brick Cave has finally hit some sort of a stride here and I'm very excited about it. So that's, that's all I wanted to say about <laughs> it. It's just... We don't we jinx sold us. Our, <laughs> right? We sold our 10,000th book and then sold a 1,000 books you know, part of that was the part of the thousand books went into that ten thousand. But I expect we'll do much better next year if we if this thing if this trend keeps up. So you know, we can only hope. So, what else would you like to talk about tonight, Bruce? Any any other any other burning issues? Pressing um, needs to chat. So you and I both write character first. Mm -hmm. I like, at least I like to think I do. And we also tend to write in an organic fashion, seat of the pants, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, now that you have left a book and then come back to that world sometime later, how did you re-engage? So you did Nelly Stones and then... Quite a long time passed. How did you re-engage into that world that you had left behind? That's a struggle for me it's, if it's, I do that. It's a good question, and it's and it's an astute question. So, um, because it's because of the way that my process works most of the time, because it's all character driven, because it's the characters and the voices in my head. Those characters told me they had another story to tell me, and I was all. Okay, so what is it? And in this time, it was Robbie. Robbie had a bigger issue with his family that he needed to work out, and so it deals with um, it deals with the nature of changing relationships, especially when a grandparent is uh, now starting to have some sort of signs of dementia or you know Alzheimer's or that sort of thing, and the struggle that kids go through with it, and. I'm, I'm not sure where it came from, the, the need to tell this story uh, exactly, but I had a need to tell it. And it's interesting be, to me because 
at that point, I just realized, oh, this is the story I need to tell, and I started running with it. And because portal fantasies have a tendency to parallel some sort of an issue in the portal world that is existent in the real world, there's always some sort of a methodology for reaching that that understanding or that um, that moment in time where the character connects with, oh, oh, I get it now, right? But they get it without having to learn it the hard way in the real world. For me, that's, that's how especially middle grade portal fantasies work for me. And so it just it just worked really well. But the, the bigger problem I had was remembering who everybody was, although most of my characters are so original that that wasn't as difficult as you might think because, I mean, I, I have a tree mage. She's a sorceress. She's part tree and part human. Not, you know, uh, un unless you're talking ants, no such thing. And she also has magical powers, but she has to sink her feet into the earth in order to do magic. Well, I needed to get rid of her in the second book. Really, I, I basically needed to get rid of her, get her out of the way. Much like you have to, um, these days if you're writing contemporary, you have to break some kid's cell phone in order to put them in a position where they, <laughs> they don't have a lifeline. Around. Well, you don't, you know, you're looking to not have a lifeline for them, right? So I wanted the kids to have to solve their own problems. So I had her go to do magic. And part of the problem is that um, the land of Honoria now is sick. And they get back there because... They're hearing this, um, Stephanie's getting this message in her dreams that they need to go back, they need to go back. So they go back, uh, only to find out that Laurel has sunk her feet into the earth to try and fix the problem and got trapped in the sickness that is Honoria. So, ha, now you're on your own again. Bye. Go, you know, <laughs> go and do. So y there's some tricky things that, that have to take place. And I, I don't want to do uh, give away too many spoilers or anything, but... I needed to tell that story for them. They needed me to tell that story. Now, there's been a story buzzing around in my head uh, with Marabella in it, but I can't tell it because she doesn't have any interest in me telling that story. <laughs> I wanted another Mirabella book because I really like Mirabella as a character and she has absolutely no interest. For the last six years, seven years, I don't know what it is, I have not been able to engage her in another story. It just doesn't work. I cannot force my characters to go with me. I have to go with them, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, there's your answer and that's how it works for me. No, my brain just says, oh, there's another story here. You have to tell it. Now, with healers, it was a little different because there were a couple of years in between each book, but I, I always kind of felt like I was going to tell another story. But I realized that, especially in the second book, that I painted myself into a complete corner. But that's how the story went for me because, again, cancer, right? And so the third book was extremely hard to write, extremely difficult to write. And I hated it, loved it, hated it, loved it. I hated that one more than I loved it, which is unusual. Usually I love a book process more than I hate it. But in that one, it was painful for me to write that book. And um, so I don't know that I would ever do a three-book arc without um, having some idea where I'm going mm -hmm. in the third book ever again. And that's another thing. So with collars I'm revisiting but it's a different story it's another character right. story I, yeah, I'm different. not into three book arcs in general um, I don't mind a continuing story but I need 
to feel at the end of each book that I've ended it. Right. Leave, you know, a few feelers out there or we have situations that weren't totally resolved or that opened the potential for something else. But if I didn't write another story there, I wouldn't leave anyone feeling like I had left something unsaid. It's like, oh, I like this world. I'd like to read more of these, but not you left me hanging there without resolving the issue. Right. Well, with Healers, the the first book was resolved. I mean, it was it could have been a standalone book, never never to be visited again. But the second book became a second act book, and that I was afraid that people were going to be very angry at me for. And it was interesting because the reaction I got was, I "Can't believe you did that! I hate the ending of that book, but I love the book." You know. So I have a lot of people who like the book, even though they hated where it ended, and they. We're dying for the third book. Well, that's the thing. Yes, it reached a resolution. It wasn't one that I liked either. It's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) I know, right? But that's the way the story went, you know, and that's where it ended up. Well, yes, unless you, you know, kind of pulled a rabbit out of a hat, it wasn't going to do that. And the rabbit out of the hat is always unsatisfying. And Lee's readers like, ah, no. So there you you go. You know, but. I, I think I, I think what I was asking even more though is, did you do you find it difficult aside from the characters because characters are the are the main thing, but you build worlds. Do you find it at all difficult to get back into the world because your head is really in a different place than it was when you created that world? For me, no, and, and, and I'm going to do it to you again. I'm going to say it's because I see everything through the eyes of the character. And since, okay. since they're in my head and I'm in their head, once I get back into the character and I start walking around in the world, it's all like, oh, I remember this place. You know, it just it sort of falls together for me. Uh, so it's, it's harder, actually, for me to create additional realms or worlds or new neighborhoods new, new to visit. elements yeah, to, visit. <laughs> to, to introduce right that's yeah. a little harder because um but but again i still just follow my character and when they get there we look around and i go oh okay this is what it looks like and then i write it down so um for me no not so much i i i don't struggle with that and, and i will you know what i struggle the most with is um uh, especially from the, a first book to a third book is remembering the color of the eyes of a character that I haven't written in two right. years or three years. And so that's why I have a Bible, right? I have my character sheet. I'm call it my Bible, but it's the, the character study sheet that has all the primary chari- uh, characters, secondary and tertiary characters for each book laid out in this document so that I can go back and go, oh, what was it? And I just put placeholders in. It's like, I'll be writing along. And I'll go, and that person that did, okay, placeholder and go along. And then I go look up, uh, it was what's his name, you know, so put him in. I have trouble with names. Yeah, I've done that. If I, if I haven't used the character in a while or I haven't involved right. them, it's like, wait a minute, what was his first name again? <laughs> and especially a character who's like a, a secondary or thir- tertiary character or whatever. Or, right, you know, right. It's like, oh. What was the name of his horse? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, no. Um, so I don't, but it's just kind of my process. to Because, again, I see the picture in my brain before I 
show it to the reader. So. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up. It's, um, it's always fun to talk to you, and we could probably do this all week long. Um, but uh, thank you again for listening to this edition of the Brick Cave Podcast. Anytime you would like to hear us, just join us online at brickcavepodcast.com. Our BC Book Club members can enjoy extra episodes and other great advantages such as free books. Details on bcbookclub.com. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and we'll drop in again soon. Bye, Bruce. Bye.